Welcome to Let's Talk Native with John Kane. Sayaka and welcome to Let's Talk Native. I'm John Kane, and uh, I am joined in studio for this program. And actually, this is the first time anybody has joined me in studio uh, since the whole COVID thing. And I'm not joined by somebody who is unfamiliar with this program. My my friend and actually former co-host, I would I would say, uh, Matt Hill is in studio with me today. You know, and, and look, we've stayed engaged over the years on not just Seneca issues, but we we've talked a lot about cultural issues, about um, you know, the role that we play in in advancing our identities and that kind of thing. But I wanted to talk to you specifically today and have a conversation with you specifically today about activism. And you know, you and I have talked a little bit about it, and I said, you know, this is probably. Um, a good topic for a program, and you know, and I've got a, a few things jotted down here, but I guess let's let's just kind of define a little bit uh, what activism means. Give, give me your take on on what activism is. First of all, John, thanks for having me here. It's good to be here. Uh, yeah, activism. That's uh, that's what we got to look look uh, to get more involved in. There's a lot of uh, things coming at us that's uh, going against our sovereignty and. Just our existence, really, and uh, we gotta assert uh, some kind of resistance to that. And if we don't, it's just uh, you know they say that the uh, silence is approval, and so that's why we have to speak out in any any way that we can. There's so many different ways to be an activist. It could be you know one-on-one -on -one conversations with somebody. It could be in action. It can. There's so many different ways that we can do it. So to me, that's what activism is. Well, and, and of course, if we look at activism in the past versus activin, activism today, or even what it will look like going in, into the future, I think that's a, um, that's a good conversation to have, too, because what we oftentimes can kind of judge others by, by their age group, by what people have claimed to have accomplished. And look, we can look at the Civil Rights Act and, uh, and the Civil Rights Movement and, you know, we see, you know, how much, uh, you know, black people were able to empower themselves to, to push back on the whole Jim Crow era. We think of Martin Luther King and Malcolm X and so many others. Um, and, and, of course, we had our own push. I mean, the, the whole sovereignty, re reclamation of sovereignty movement, which came really somewhat paralleled with the, with the Civil Rights Act uh, and the Civil Rights Movement, is, is something that, again, we can view that and we can see some of the things that took place, we think of Wounded Knee, we think about the, the takeover of the BIA and uh, Alcatraz. We Ganyangi. Think of, what's that? Ganyangi. Gan, Ganyangi, absolutely. So we think about these kinds of things, but does, that's not the total limitation to what activism is. And, and I would also argue that activism can change because of what, because the times change and what is required of a generation may change with the next generation and how we fight. Um, what is the most effective way to fight? I think, you know, bottom line is, you know, drawing a line in the sand and sometimes arming ourselves and that kind of stuff. I think that we had to do that. And, and, and that's frankly what was a part of activism in the past. It's not quite so much um, viewed that way today. And I'm not saying that, that we, we don't need to physically and, and in, in other ways defend ourselves. 
but it may not be um, look as militant today as it did in uh, in years past. But that doesn't mean that it's less. And and so I think talking about what needs to needs to happen, as you say, you know, make sure that our voices aren't silent uh, or silenced is is a big part of it. But you know, we have tools today that we didn't know. We have this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just the yeah. idea that I was we, just gonna say we're using one right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's there there's short form videos in places like TikTok and uh, Instagram and YouTube and you know all there's all these vehicles that frankly maybe you and I, our generation, is not as familiar with or uh, even as accepting of as our kids or our grandkids. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to do, I, I think we have to be op- open-minded about what activism is. And, you know, I, I hear people condemn somebody, oh yeah, he's just a Facebook warrior, he's a keyboard warrior, he sits behind his computer and, you know, but that's not a, ter- a terrible thing. I, I would dare say I accomplish a lot. Sitting behind a keyboard. Yeah. I don't think that's the limitation to what I do or others do. Mm-hmm. But how do we not look at this at young people with these condemning eyes that, that are all too familiar? I mean, we, we hear this generation sometimes just just really bash the younger, younger generation about what they, they are or aren't doing. And, you know, I come back to the, hey, look, in the United States, 74 million people voted for Donald Trump in the last election. And, you know, so I, I think it, any, anybody in even the American society, not just our culture, within our culture, that condemns young people are really not giving them a fair shake. So I think as we talk about activism, I'm frankly a little less concerned about what activism has to look like for you and I um, as I am concerned about what it has to look like or what, what we hope it will look like and what it will be encouraged to look like amongst young people. But, you know, the, you, you say we've got to push on the young people, but look what we were told by our older generations, that activism was wrong. We can't forget that part of it. You know, we're, we're kind of in the middle here, your generation, you know, yours and my generation, is that, you know, the older folks that lived through the residential schools and such, they were taught not to raise any waves, you know, not, don't, don't cause any waves. Don't, don't uh, upset the system, you know, cause if you do, they're going to punish you. And, and I, that goes right hand in hand. I would say with how the language was lost, you know, if, if you speak the language, you're going to get punished. So, I mean, we're looked at as, uh, you know, I heard the term the other day, radical. And, you know, we were always taught, I can remember that as a younger kid, don't be a radical. Or we always talked about the people who were radical. So, you know, that's kind of like subliminal uh, teachings of not trying to raise those those issues. And there, there seems to be that's a large part of the population nowadays. Even on Facebook and stuff, as much as people complain about things, they don't really actually speak out against it in, in a way that is a, a, a planned, you know. I mean, how, how do we attack any kind of... Uh, any kind of oppression against us. What, well, what? and it's interesting, you mentioned the word radical, and think about that word gets tied to things like Islamic fundamentalism, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the radical right, the radical left. Mm-hmm. So it's always taken in, like you said, in with this n- negative connotation. And, you know, the idea of being radical is, is to want to change. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, that's, that's but, what radicalism is. It, it's about changing the status quo. And as Native people, we have to really understand how we are viewed, and not just how we are viewed today, but how we've been viewed for the last several hundred years. And, you know, and that feeds into, 
everything from my my fight, my personal uh, fight that I that I take against the mascot issue, against uh, you know uh, crimes against women and that kind of stuff. It's all based on the view that the dominant culture, predominantly white people, have had towards native people for hundreds of years now, and. So if we, we and, and coming out of like you said the, these the residential school era and some of the um, some of those times where we were really met with violent opposition when we tried to stand up. So we, you know, we saw you know look how many got killed. Yeah, we we saw our people killed. We saw our people, uh, you know, punished in in ways you know uh, forced assimilation. But we also, you know, we also get to this place where we where we think the consequences are too high uh, for standing up. I mean, coming out of the 90s, we were, we were spilling out on the throughway, right? Mm-hmm. We were yep. spilling out on the throughway, shutting it down. In recent conversations, we've had people say, oh, you don't want to go down that throughway. You're going to get arrested for that. Or you're, they're going to use the Patriot Act against you, and you're going to find yourself sitting in a cell in Guantanamo Bay. We've literally had I've, I've Seneca heard, leadership say that. I've heard we'll get shot as soon as we get down there. Exactly. So, I mean, is that consequence real? The fear is because that's what's being ingrained in us. So, mm-hmm. you know, so these are the challenges. And and I'm not. I'll, I'll be the first one to say I'm not opposed to going down the throughway. Uh, I think I think the idea of doing something that visual and that effective, because look, there's. I mean, getting back on the conversation of activism, we have things like protests, right? We, you know, rallies. Um, we also are familiar with the term nonviolent direct action. Uh, but do we really know what it means? And do we know that there are things that we can do that may not be legal, but they certainly aren't violent, but they can be effective? And, and, and we've, we've talked about, or we've seen, you know, when, when uh, pipeline uh, fights have taken, uh, been taken up where equipment might have been damaged or people chain themselves to, to pieces of equipment and that kind of thing. But I, I got to say something here. You know, all of that resources and everything that went towards, let's say, Standing Rock. Mm-hmm. Thousands of people there, you know, thousands of dollars being spent by the police forces to be there and everything. Yet still people didn't understand what was going on because it was just news snippets. To me, what makes a really strong um, ideal change or thought change in, in the general public is when they see it on like a Netflix series. You know what I mean? Like a, a documentary. People will sit there and watch a documentary, you know, glued to their sets to find out what's going on. But the news has numbed us so much that it just becomes a short snippet of what's going on. And it leaves up a lot to interpretation without much explanation of the backstory. The local news, when they're talking about the disputed casino funds and how it's been used for the stadium and, and everything else and how it was, you know, hand over, you know, to the Bills stadium. But they never address why it was disputed funds. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, they don't get, get to that point. So to me, I think education is a very strong advocation because if we don't educate people and explain the, the processes and, and stuff that happened to uh, initiate all of that um, uh, attack against us, it, it just becomes a big blurb, you know? And it, it isn't anything that people will really take to heart. Well, and I would argue that education is part of activism. I mean, and, and it, I mean, it is activism because if you're teaching truth, truths that have not been taught before, mm-hmm. that can be viewed as, as a pretty radical thing. I mean, and you're right. The, the media has been terrible on Native issues across the country. I mean, uh, they're, 
I mean, the, the ceiling kind of got broke a little bit in Standing Rock, especially when I think uh, Amy Goodman went out there and showed them using dogs to attack people and that kind of stuff. And finally, there was a bit of a change. But it still never really ca- you know, captured what the, what the fight was over. And, and you're right. When, when I look back here, there still is such ignorance in Western New York as to, um, you know, what not only Kathy Hochul, the governor, did to the, to the Senecas, but just what the fight between New York State and the, and the Seneca Nation has been. And, you know, look, I, I hear it all the time. When, when somebody does take the time to, to catch one of my shows or something that I've written, they say, geez, how come nobody knows this? And, well, it's not because it hasn't been said. It's just that we don't have the, the luxury of the mainstream media. And, and getting back to this idea of activism, we don't have enough people in our own community spreading the, those kinds of words. I mean, mm-hmm. one of the things in, in all the years that you and I've worked together, I know what, when you've told me that just being out in the world, you've been able to engage people in conversations that, that you perhaps wouldn't have engaged uh, in before. Because now you, be, not just because you're hearing it from me, but even just participating in this kind of, uh, this kind of activity has empowered you with more information. And that's, has, that's because I gained a knowledge. Exactly. I, I get understanding of what's actually going on, and then I'm able to convey that to other people that don't quite have the, uh, an understanding. Well, and, and you convey it differently than I do. So, you know, the fact that we don't have to, we don't have to parrot each other's phraseology and that kind of stuff, but the, but the fact of the matter is, once you understand it, you can make that conversation yourself, your own. And, and it's, it's the conversation, and I say it all the time, it's the conversation we need to have at home within our family. It's the conversation we need to have within the community. And it's the conversation that we need to engage the outside with. Because, you know, look, we can't blame the outside for not understanding who we are if we're not willing to explain it. And, and we, we can, while we can blame the media for misrepresenting much of the story, and I, and I do, look, because you know, I, I say this specifically about the Buffalo News, which is really just a <laughs> terrible uh, media outlet. Um, they don't do the, their own homework. They don't, they don't even t- attempt to tell, uh, to tell the other side of the story. I mean, if you're going to say this is, this is you know, New York State's position, that's fine. But if you don't balance it, and you know, I, I come back to the, you know, to the issue with the Seneca Nation, is that all the Senecas have ever said about this whole dispute with, with the gaming revenue is that they want the federal government to review it. Yeah. You know, and not, I mean, this isn't about taking it to avoided. court. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, so this isn't about just taking it to court. This is about getting the Interior Department, whose job and responsibility is to review this stuff, to actually do the job. And, and, and look, we've had 30 years of the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act and 30 years of, you know, basically dereliction of responsibility from the Interior Department as it relates to it. Yeah. Now that there's a Native person sitting there at the head of the Interior, the expectation is that we, we, we might be heard now. I, you know, I don't know that that's necessarily true. But I think that we can, we can force that issue a little bit stronger than we have in the past. But you, you, again, I, I will say that your, your comment about education is, is right on. Because for one thing, we don't have our own schools even. I mean, our kids mm-hmm. are educated in the system. Yep. They're, even what they're taught about American history and Native history. Because some of these schools actually have some Native programs in, in their schools. But, they're, but again, they're, they're, they're so whitewashed. And they're so time-stamped. 
I mean, when they teach Iroquois studies in, in, a, in a school, even around here, even when our own kids are in those classes, they're teaching about us in the past. They're, they're not teaching anything about our existence in the contemporary society. Look at the ECLC. He's got the George Washington belt on it. And but, I can't even engage, get somebody to have a conversation <laughs> about what's wrong with the George Washington belt. I've talked about it on the program, and, yeah. uh, and I'll talk about it again. I'm not going to do that here, but... Uh, just so people know, the ECLC is the... Uh, the preschool program that yeah. we have here on Kennedy Learning Center. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, so the imagery, you know, that is broadcast all over doesn't mean anything if we don't understand what it means. And, you know, our, our good friend, Doug uh, Rudege, is, you know, he, he's not condemning somebody for their, you know, their their warrior flag tattoos or their Haudenosaunee uh, stamps across their back or, or whatever else. But, <laughs> but, Bumper or bumper stickers or, you know, or decals on their cars and that kind of stuff. But if we can't engage in a conversation about what that, you know, that symbolism means, then, then we're just, what, are we making a fashion statement? And so this is part of the education. And I don't condemn anybody. Look, I don't, I don't blame anybody for wanting to put something on their car that identifies them as Native people. That can be problematic sometimes, I will say. <laughs> will say. But uh, no, but I think to, to be proud of who we are, but it's, is, is the pride really going to be demonstrated if we don't understand what some of that imagery really means? And, mm -hmm. and you know, and, and, and that's, another, again, a whole other conversation about things like the George Washington belt, but even some of these other things that, uh, that we see. I mean, I, I still find it somewhat disheartening to drive by the, uh, biz, the, 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 the nation buildings and, and so prominently displayed all too often is the American flag. Even higher higher it's than a nation flag. It's usually a bigger flag. Obviously, the quality of the flag is better. So while the, while the, the Honor Indian Treaties flag or the Seneca Nation flag is tattered and torn, there's that big, bold American flag flying there. And it's like, you know, I've suggested years ago, this is a, this is a, a form of activism. Take the flag down. Mm -hmm. Say, look, we're not going to fly your flag until you give us the due respect that we deserve here. But just a side note, they're all pretty beat up. Just, just, I've seen a lot of opposition to having those flags flying in the condition they are. But, you know, that's still, in, in the past, it has been that where, you know, the, the American flag is still looking pretty good while ours is pretty tattered. But <laughs> Yeah, and it does beg the question, you know, why are we so prominently displaying the flag of a nation that continues to, you know, assert such overt racism towards us? Not just at the nation level, but at the state level as well. But, you know, so, but again, so how do we teach activism? And do we teach activism? I mean, yeah, am, is it, are we really suggesting that we need to teach people to care? Or is it more so we need to convince people that caring matters and that we can affect change? And look, look Matt, I think that we could, we could, we could say that we've, we've seen change in our lifetimes. I mean, look, I've, I've, I'll admit, as I'm rapidly approaching my mid-60s here, I thought we'd be farther along. But, you know, I can't, I can't diminish the fact that we've accomplished things. We were just kind of kicking around the other day, um, although it's, it seems like a vague th part of our memories. We freed up uh, uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars of school funding. It was millions. Was it millions? Yeah. Okay. A million, a million. <laughs> I mean, school funding had been held up not just here in Seneca Territory, but up in Mohawk Territory, yep. up, up, up Salmon River in, uh, near Aquasasne. And because we raised the issue here, we... Somebody else heard it. Somebody else heard it, and we got the ball rolling. And the next thing you know, money had been held up for no other reason than just pure shameless bureaucracy. 
uh, went went to those schools and and went to those schools because of native students. Uh, you know, I started thinking about that, and I remember the superintendent of Gowanda School was saying that they were looking to have to uh, get a loan, borrow, yep. and they would have been you know the the interest on it was is pretty high. And so by us being able to free that up, that saved them from having to get that loan. And every other school that was affected yeah, yeah, this way. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, so look, that's just one example that, that <laughs> the two guys did without, we didn't, we didn't block the throughway. We yeah. didn't, uh, you know, carry signs. We, we just had a conversation. And um, what I always hope will happen is, the, is that a conversation we have here will continue. So that's what we need more of. We, we need to uh, convince people that change can be affected. You know, I I think this fight with the, with New York State over gaming, I think ultimately, and, and I'm hopeful that ultimately, the Seneca Nation officials will have learned a valuable lesson in how much they were taken to the cleaners by New York State over the last 14 and now another seven years, 21 years it will be, and not be so willing to try to accommodate or buy political will from, from a state that is clearly asserted overt racism, not just with this governor, but the but previous governors. And and that racism crosses party lines, and obviously it crosses gender lines. Now you said, you know, having to pay for that. I'm sure that there's a lot of policies that could have been influenced if the people were educated, our, our nation officials were educated enough of how to attack that, as opposed to using a, a you know, like a, what do you call it, a... Um, the guys that go in there, <laughs> I can't think oh, of Oh, lawyers and lobbyists. Yeah, lobbyists. Yeah, there yeah, you go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, no. I drew a blank here. But, uh, you know, it, there's a lot of things I see that we spend money on for a lobbyist, and they don't understand our sovereignty at, you know, angle of And of we're not usually and... even in the room when they are carrying our message. So we don't mm -hmm. know how much they're saying, well, I, you know, I've got to deliver this message. And, and how... Half hearted, they half heartedly they carry themselves. Exactly. Even when we're when we're trying to assert a strong position, I saw, and I I saw uh, a document from one of the lawyers for the Seneca Nation that basically was was warning the Seneca Nation that if they didn't maintain this exclusivity, which I argue doesn't even exist, that the the state was going to put casinos in their backyards. And they were going to charge um, a higher tax for the for the state licensed casinos than that's even being paid uh, in, in revenue sharing, and the state wins either way. And and that just defies any logic. Mm -hmm. But that's the Seneca Nation attorneys Correct. telling the Seneca Nation that that's not those people aren't aren't really giving us good advice. And you know, and that's why how you end up in in some of these situations. So, but the. The pushback on that and, and the way to, to address that is for our own people to be more empowered, for our own people to be better educated. And, you know, look, even if we don't have the answers, we at least should be able to ask the legitimate questions. And that's not even something that has happened. And I'm not, I'm, I'm not even necessarily blaming the Seneca people or Seneca leadership, because I think this is, this is part of that historical trauma. Exactly. That comes from us feeling like we are somehow inferior to the lawyers that we hire, to any white person who, uh, who presents an argument, we think because of their education, because of their, their skin color, because of their, their stature, compared to our own, that somehow they know more than us. And you know, so our own belief systems get put on the back shelf. 
as this is being, you know, presented. It's like those Facebook memes where they showed a horse tied up to a plastic chair. He thinks that just because he's tied up to something that he's held there, you know, not that he couldn't just pull the chair with him or whatever, but that's kind of no, mentally, no, that's mentally where we're at. Yep, absolutely. I, I think so. You know, look, and I just saw a recent um, a response from uh, Santa Ignatian President uh, Matt Pagels really calling out Kathy Hochul was in the, mm -hmm. you know, and look, I won't even write, I won't even write a letter to the editor or, you know, the Another Voice column or whatever else um, to the Buffalo News. I, I won't dignify them with, with anything I've, ha I have to say. But I was glad that he condemned both Hochul and the Buffalo News. But again, I, I hope out of all of this that we come out of this with, with, with a better understanding on who they are, how they view us, and how we need to carry ourselves when dealing with them. Let's hope so. I don't think, I just don't think we can accommodate anymore. I mean, I think back, you know, I, I remember hearing the stories about how the throughway got pushed through Seneca territory. And when the, the Senecas talked about, well, we, you know, you're going to charge for that toll road. We want, we want some of the money. And those white folks just laughed at our people. And, and they ended up giving them like, like only $70,000 for the right of way to run <laughs> that huge highway yep. through Seneca territory where they've, they've taken in billions of dollars over the years. And they, it privately, they laughed about it. And so, so why would we have accommodated that? Well, you got to think, think about the era that, that, that was going on. There, that was considered the termination era mm -hmm. when the federal government was saying, we no longer need to recognize you as native people. I mean, that is, and I realize that people don't understand the, the history of our history and, and the history we have with both states and the federal government. But we had already gone through such, uh, such overt oppression. The Kinzua Dam Project took 10,000 acres of Seneca yep. land. You have the throughway getting pushed through. You have all of these things, and you have politicians that they don't even need to vocalize. They don't even need to verbalize the threat. They just have to make sure that you're aware that with a stroke of a pen, they can claim that you don't exist anymore. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't exist, but it, it does mean that they can be that much more dismissive about who we are. And, you know, and that's why, again, education, using our voice, and I think, you know, I, I come back to what we started the conversation with, is I think we really do need to encourage young people to not only understand some of these issues, but understand that they have more power than, they, than perhaps they know. And... Frankly, they, they, they have more power than we do. And I say that simply because we aren't going to be here this, for, for as long as they are. I mean, we are definitely, you know, we are definitely um, having to hand the torch off to them. Yeah. Uh, I know we wanted to talk about the, uh, the fishing uh, resistance that went up yesterday. Uh, the gentleman up there, I believe it was Oneida Lake or somewhere, somewhere yeah, just off I, I, of Oneida yeah, Lake. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly where it was. but A, a group of men from across the Confederacy uh, went and were fishing on, a, a, I presume it was public lands? It looked like a... Yeah, it's, it was like state, uh, I think it was, well, it, rivers aren't state land, but the, 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 the land adjoining, but it looked like this was actually, uh, it looked like it was a, like a dock or something, that he, mm -hmm. whether it was for putting a boat in or from fishing from, from but they had gone there to go fishing. Yep. And they... They were approached by a uh, gaming uh, DC, warden at yeah, yep. DC, or I'm not sure exactly who, what uh, organization it was, but uh, they they were confronted by them and told them to get out of the water. And they said, no, we have every right to be here. And that was uh, an example by, or showing by example of resisting, you yeah. know, asserting our right to do that 
and, and resisting their authority over us. And, and, and we've had some of our own guys go through this uh, hunting a few years back yep. down in uh, down in Allegheny yep. territory. So, but but you're you're right. So even something like asserting your rights in in a fashion that may not in of itself be a confrontation is still a form of activism. Mm -hmm. And and one of the things that I think you know I think is is, is worth noting is we live at a time where. And when I say us and them, <laughs> and I know people don't like that, but when I say this, this us and them uh, dynamic exists, what, the state and the federal government does not recognize that we are the people who predate them. What they're doing is they're using <laughs> words like the, and yeah. my friend Steve Newcomb used to, he, I remember him telling me this years ago, and I never really grabbed onto it that much, but he said the problem he had with the word indigenous is that the word indigenous, or, or as a phrase indigenous peoples, have come to mean, especially in the international community, um, the descendants of the original people. Mm -hmm. Not that we are still those original people. And it's become crystal clear to me, and even watching that video, these guys you know, fighting against these, these uh, park rangers or, or DEC, environmental conservation guys. Um, and frankly, any time that I've ever had to have a conversation with a politician, just be able to assert that, no, I am not your constituency. I am not yours. We are a distinct people. We are the same people. We are, I mean, it, you're not just an American of Seneca descent. I'm not just an American of Mohawk descent. I am Mohawk. I am Gunyagahaga. You are Onundawaga. I mean, this, mm -hmm. and and I think we have to assert that. And when those park rangers told those guys, well, we, uh, we're just treating you like everybody else. Well, but we aren't everybody else. Everybody else is you. I remember they were asking the question, well, why do you think that fish hatchery is even there? Yep. And the answer is, is because you guys screwed up the ecosystem. Yep. Because you've, you've turned, you, you don't, people aren't fishing to eat. They're, they're sport fishing. And you give these licenses. You charge, you charge money for, you're making money off of selling this sport to people who come from all over to do it. And, and you've disrupted the ecosystem. Yeah. That's why you have to have a fish hatchery in the first place. And now you're saying we can't fish because it's too close to the fish hatchery? We're not catching fingerlings for crying out loud. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and it's not like they're going up to, to reproduce either, right? If they got the hatchery there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's like they're not fishing in the hatchery tanks for crying out loud. I, I think Francis even asked that. He said, what do we do when we go there? He said, we, he said well, you look at them. He said, can we fish there? And he said, no. He said, well, why do we want to go there? <laughs> yeah, they wanted to give them a tour. Yeah. I think they were just trying to lure them out of the water. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I mean, but see, but you're right. I'm, and I'm glad you, you brought that up because activism can take on many, many different forms. Yeah, it doesn't have to be shutting down the highway or, or anything else. You know, it, it can just be, you know, resistance. Yeah. Simple resistance to any kind of, uh, you know, Offense that people are trying to impose on, or well, what am I trying to say here? Well, no, I, I think that's exactly, it's, it's the idea that the rules are trying to apply to us, especially on our territories. We have to push back and say, no, you, you don't, you just don't have that right. And look, that resistance and that activism doesn't necessarily always have to be a march or a rally or a protest mm -hmm. or, or, you know, or you know, any form of civil disobedience. It can, and frankly, on occasion should. Mm -hmm. But oftentimes it's it's really just look it's encouraging our kids in school to push back on what they're being taught in school. Yep. 
You know, and, and that's a big part of it. I mean, I, the, the, the classic example of, of lies through omission is the idea of teaching the Emancipation Proclamation of Abraham Lincoln and not even mentioning that a week before that became law on January 1st of 1863, that a week before that, the day after Christmas, 38 Dakota were hung by the neck mm-hmm. on an order from Abraham Lincoln. Yep. I mean, so, I mean, when, when these quote-unquote founding fathers are put out, you know, raised up in front of our kids in history class or, or any place else, I think we do have a right to, to, to say, no, not ours. I mean, we still see people going through um, uh, having trouble in school when they, when they won't stand for the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. Yep. I mean, look at and, you know, look, Colin Kaepernick's uh, situation, simply because he says, no, I'm not going to, I refuse to stand for the national anthem as long as there's this disproportionate of, uh, of people of color being killed by police. And even that was blown out of proportion, saying he was against the country. Just the, the troops. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> everything. You know, the yeah. flag, everything. No, he was against the police brutality. Yep. He, he was addressing. There, there is no equality. Hey, he wasn't dropping his pants during the damn no, no. thing. He was taking a freaking knee. You yep. know, it's like, jeez. No, I mean, so, look, again, resistance can take many different forms. But I think it's important though when we do something that we explain it and mm-hmm. we should know why we're doing it we should understand that you know why we have the right you know one of the things that that i found somewhat disturbing even in the early days when tobacco became a big part of the uh, economy of our territories i dare say there was only a handful of people who knew why and how we could pull off not only purchasing but but selling uh, cigarettes without the, the state being able to stop us without their taxes on it. And if you don't understand that fight, it's the same thing I say right now with, with this gaming issue with the Seneca Nation. If you don't understand what the law is and the fact that the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act in of itself is a racist... I mean, it, people talk about critical race theory, and I always say critical race theory at, at its, the most surface level is the intersection of law and racism. Well, if you pass a law... Specifically against Native people, yeah. that is the definition of racism. Mm-hmm. How else can it apply? It's against one race of people. You know, in this case, certain rights. Well, I mean, and you went through it. You posted something on Facebook the other day about yep. Kathy Hochul's actions being racist, and you had some people who commented, "Well, I agree what he did, what she did was wrong, but I don't see how it's racist." Yeah, they backed us hundred percent, but they didn't see it as being racist. But she she took a specific act against a distinct group of people. Yep. who are distinguished by their ethnicity or race or whatever you want to... You know, I mean, we can get into a debate about whether race is real, but the perception of race is real, mm-hmm. and racism is real. And when you take an action against the Seneca people from the state of New York, that, by definition, is asserting superiority over an inferior people, a people you regard inferior enough that you can do this to them. Implied inferior. Well, yeah, but well, I'm saying that that's what that's her position. I'm not saying that uh, we are inferior, but but she's using a position of authority to assert, uh, you know, to to oppress a people she views as beneath her. The one holding the cards for the courts and and all the money for that legal whole system, right? They say we can't fight it outside of uh, their their jurisdiction. Well, you the know, crazy part about that whole, that whole thing is the state's whole position is that uh, is that the Seneca Nation are violating the compact. And that's exactly what Kathy Hochul did exactly. by freezing the accounts and not 
only going after the money that sat in that mm-hmm. one account. You know. Where the compact says that it had to be taken from. Well, and and frankly, that's why the money was being set there. It's so, not the, the thing about it is she didn't actually take the money. She just froze it so we couldn't use it. So well, it, it she didn't even freeze that money. That yeah, account yeah, was yep. sitting someplace else. Yep. She actually put a stranglehold on the Seneca Nation and everybody who does business with the Seneca Nation. So to force a ransom payment. And yep. you know, and that's again, that's not hyperbole. That's mm-hmm. exactly what she did. And so but it took a long time, and like I said, I, I was glad to see uh, what I what, or read what I read from from Matt Pagels because I've heard people try to say that oh that Kathy Hochul she's a nice lady she's not she's certainly a nicer lady than Andrew Cuomo was well Andrew Cuomo never did anything like this he never <laughs> I, I mean, he probably would have I, yeah, I'm not yeah. saying he wouldn't have yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying he didn't yep. you know so uh, look and and we've heard racist comments come out of uh, out of both parties. You know, I always say that, you know, racism isn't a right thing, it's a white thing. And that's not to say that all white people are racist, mm-hmm. but there's no question that the people who are most empowered to stop some of that racism and to be the most um, effective anti-racist are white people because they have the privilege to affect change that the rest of us don't. And that's why there's a certain part of me that says we, we have to be careful and try to enlist as much support from allies as possible. And, you know, and I, you know, we can get into a debate on whether we, we want to call them allies or accomplices, I guess. But, you know, for me, I think anytime we can get other people from outside of our group, our, 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 our people, to understand what we're, we're, what we're talking about, and that's, you know, and that's, Americans that, in general. That's key, though. It is. That, that, that's very key because, you know, like I said before, you know, when people see it on the news, if we don't carry that education of why we're doing what we're doing and sit so that they can see the whole picture, we just become people standing blocking a road without any, you know, we're just an inconvenience for them. But if we can get them to understand why we're doing it, you know, I, we, I think we can gain so much more support for what we're doing. And, you know, maybe even some assistance or, you know, allies, if one thing. You know, at the very least. Well, I mean, you think, uh, you know, people talk about things like boycotting and and, and doing certain things uh, in a more broad ba- a broad-based manner. I think that's important. I think I think that Kathy Hochul needs to pay a price for what she did. Mm-hmm. And, you know, oh, I'm not threatening her physically, but I think there has to be a political cost. There has to be a, a public opinion cost. And, and and this is where I think we have not done a good job in terms of media or, or, or public relations. Uh, but again, I think the more that we can enlist, you know, especially young people who have much more of a, of a savvy appreciation for for electronic media, for you know, social networking and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And so, rather than condemning our young people for you know for being different in the way that they approach things than than our previous generations or our generation has, I think we need to, we need to outreach and we need to, we need to empower them and, and, and encourage them to do, do, do more. Um, and not to do, as we say, like, like you said in the, earlier in the program, we were condemned for standing up. I mean, if you were to poll the, you know, uh, native territories when the occupation of wounded knee took place or, or even even Ganyange, I think there's a whole lot of Native people who were condemning of, of anybody doing something that radical, as you say. Yeah. You know, Alcatraz. Now it's it's funny because now 
years later, everyone's, oh, yeah, that was a great thing. Yeah, but where were you then? <laughs> you know, where, I mean, you, you can praise the idea of occupying the, the Bureau of Indian Affairs building in Washington, but were you really supportive when the guys were doing it? Or did you think that they were just a bunch of, you know, rogues, you know, doing something that was uncalled for? That goes back to the old uh, story that uh, Degarundigate talks about, the hot dog stain. They're going to, you know, the guy puts up the hot dog stand and everybody says, ah, that'll never work, right? And so the guy does real well that year. Next year, you know, another guy gets a, a hot dog stand next to him and he does really well. And it's that, that idea of having to break that, that blocker yeah. that it's okay to do. And it, it is a good thing. So uh, the, with this whole activism thing, too, I think that, that that's um, something that the kids got to understand, too, that it is okay to do it, you know? If you, if you, um, can see something wrong that needs to be righted. It's free. It's a you know you you have every right to stand up against it. I think that that's the key point of what we got to teach the kids is uh, it is okay to do that. Well, and, and and you mentioned you know things like the effectiveness of of even like a Netflix series. I didn't look. I was glad to see Reservation Dogs be as successful as it has been uh, as uh, you know as a. Um, as a as a show on uh, on some of these streaming services, yeah. But we need to do more, and and frankly, we need to not be afraid to to have the uncomfortable conversations that come along with being uh, being native people. Well, look at how much of a hit, even things like uh, uh, Carol Baskin. You know how how the lion. What was that show called? I don't even remember the name of the show. Lion, not Lion King, Tiger King, or. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, how big of a hit that was. I mean, as dumb of a show that was, it got so much attention and ratings. Yeah. I mean, if we had real life instances of of how we've been attacked and held, you know, held down economically and everything else. I mean, look, look how good of a show Ganyange would make. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm telling and, the story of Ganyange, and not many people know about that. And some of it isn't just pure drama i mean there's there, we take a lot of humor in our in our fights going forward so i you know we you and i talked about you know the idea of pitching a, situ, a situation comedy or whatever mm-hmm. uh, you know for you know for television or whatever else and you know, look <laughs> comedy is a good way to make strong bold statements yeah. and in fact sometimes you can get away with saying things if you you're doing it un, under the the banner of comedy that it are it's hard to to say other way. So no, you, I, I agree. I th- I think that we have to we have to encourage the, this next generation to do things that we never dreamed were possible. Yeah, even during Standing Rock, I remember watching the live feed one night, one o'clock in the morning, and uh, the guys were getting sprayed down by pepper the, spray. No, the, oh, with the, the water hose. Oh yeah, well, it's freezing, it's freezing yeah. out, right? And uh, you can hear the the banter in, in the crowd of the native guys that were out, and women too that were there. And you can hear them, somebody say something, and the whole crowd cracks up. You know, here they are in a in a freezing environment, getting sprayed by a hose, and they're still finding humor there. You know, I mean, because you know they're they're talking crap about the guys that were spraying them, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, so, I, I, mean, I I remember the standoff in I think it was '97 at Alanadago when the state police w- were lined up just before they attacked all the people that were uh, you know that were protesting. Uh, along the side of uh, Interstate 81, and um, and as the cops were there, they they didn't seem to understand why our people were still laughing, and yep. and it, you know somebody had suggested when they stop laughing is when the problem is when you have to get worried. <laughs> I mean, because look, our people are going to find humor right up to the point that uh, that we stop laughing, yeah. and you know, and look, as long as we're still laughing, 
we can still have a conversation. We can still attempt to make you understand. So that's a part of it. Yeah, I they're trying so. to make you understand. I mean, look how humor is even used. I mean, it's it's an abstract way to get a point across. The yeah. same as art and everything else. You know, if you can, if you're in a face to face situation with a say a line of cops and everything, and you can make them laugh, it maybe that'll click in their heads to make them see the point. And that's, well, see, see how absurd the situation really exactly. is. Exactly. I mean, I've seen that. In, you know, on the front lines when we were on the thruway. You know, I mean that that that's all uh, that's all part of the game, and that that's in a way is is uh, you know being an advocate. I mean, there were a whole lot of examples of uh, of state troopers in in some of the the conflicts here in Seneca territory getting beat up, but there was a couple of examples of people having underwear stretched up over their heads. <laughs> <laughs> so so even as our people are getting physical, oh yeah, you know it. You you can get a sense for you know, still the humiliation is probably the funniest part of it. <laughs> well, and, and frankly, Matt, you and I have have our moment uh, at the Galleria Mall yeah. when we were simply just trying to. That's a good example. I mean, yeah, I mean that's now, now there's resistance that it, it did get a little dicey. I mean, and for those who aren't familiar, when the Idle No More movement was um, was kind of in its in in its you know heyday. the heyday, I guess, <laughs> or in its full swing. What was happening is there were these flash mob brown dances, and you know a flash mob is just when people show up and there's usually some sort of dancing. But a flash mob brown dance was the native version, where um, oftentimes hundreds or more would, of native people would show up at a sometimes, and this was happening a lot at uh, at malls, at uh, you know at, at these malls in both the U.S. and Canada, and they would engage in doing a round dance in one of the big common areas of the mall, food court or, or whatever else. And um, and so that's what was happening at the Galleria Mall which in the suburbs of Buffalo here. It's uh, Cheek to Waga, I think. Yep. Is it? And, and you and I were actually on our way to go someplace else, but we, and we, these things don't last long. They last 10 or 15 minutes. Said, well, let's stop by the... A couple uh, songs? The, the, yeah, yeah, a couple of songs. We'll stop by the, uh, the Galleria and we'll participate in the, uh, in the round dance and, and then we'll you know, go to the event that we're going to. So we showed up there and we could already see that the mall cop was uh was kind of losing his mind because and the, and the music hadn't even started yet. This was just about native people being there and yep. he was already getting nervous. A little bit more than check day than usual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, so I I tried to engage him a little bit and and he said that we were trespassing. Yep. And then the music started. And so you and I chose not to necessarily participate in the round dance itself, but we stayed inside and we, we essentially were running some interference for the singers that were there. Yep. And then the cops showed up and, and, you know, you kind of were, were blocking a little bit, carrying the warrior flag and you almost drove the one cop to, to bump I, into I think me. I did. <laughs> so he bumps into me and the guy grabs me and, and I grabbed him back, which I didn't quite remember that. I gotta, I gotta admit, I grabbed him back and, and we got a little physical with each other. Mm-hmm. But I kept I kept my humor about me, I, and I and I kept telling. Do you do you realize how, realize how absurd this is? And through that really, little bit of his assessment at the time, you know, you, you breaking that tension with the smile, and and using that, those words, you know, it did break that tension just enough, just because it was it was right on the edge right well, now. Well, and even time. even you, you said, you know, you're going to spend more time in paperwork than you're going to mm-hmm. do uh, addressing this thing right here. Yep. So I mean, we, we were trying to be. Both sarcastic and intelligent at the same diplomatic time. Too, and, and I mean, diplomatic, too. And diplomatic. And we literally talked this cop down with the other cops 
from trying to upset and and stop this round dance. I told him, look, in a few minutes, this is all going to be over. Mm -hmm. And and he gave the time. I mean, I know it got characterized on YouTube as you know as them attacking, but and that may have been their intent, but it didn't work out that way. And yeah, the as you and I pulled out, we saw the whole line of cop cars that were. They out. say that the riot squad. Remember, we went to the one book signing or something yeah. a week later, and the people said that they heard on the scanners that the riot squad was in route or yep. on standby or something. So I mean, they could have got real bad. And there were like five hundred people at that. Uh, at, mm -hmm. This was one of the largest ones I think that I in participated area. in. I mean, and you and I had gone to a couple of these, but this was the largest one that uh, that I had participated in. And and I told the guys, says, you know, what are you going to do? You're going to arrest five hundred of us? I didn't know that they were really thinking about that, yeah. <laughs> apparently. But, uh, um, but it, it, look, and I got, I saw a lot of people. I went to a Bandits game, you know, that weekend or the next weekend, and I had people all over. Like, man, that was great what you did and that kind of thing, and you know, and, and but my message to people was, look, you can resist, and you can even physically resist if you do it in a way that is not too threatening. I mean, mm -hmm. and you know, I remember my wife called me that night before you and I got yep. home, and. She was giving me hell for, for she's. I can't believe you're fighting with the guy. I said I wasn't really fighting with him, and and then you 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 put your phone in front of me with the video of it because I was already posted before we got <laughs> home. I said, really? I, well, oh, I, yeah. guess, yeah, I, I guess I did grab him a little bit, but uh, but that's the same approach that the, the guys did with the uh, DEC, right? I mean, they they you could hear them laughing and stuff in the background too, and they had a conversation with them. They exactly. weren't confrontational. They displayed the facts, and and you know. They, they didn't gave, call them down. No. no. I mean, they just, you know, they, they called them out, but they didn't call them oh, down. Oh, sure. Yeah. But that's resistance. I mean, right. that, that's what people got to understand. Resistance. It, it takes many forms. And, and I wanted to say, too, that, you know, that look at here, like how uh, I, I raised the issue of the traffic tickets on territory. Mm -hmm. You know I mean? By everyone that, uh, that pays the tickets and not address it and fight it at the time when they're getting issued those summonses and stuff, is that... That there is where we need to do that resistance. Yeah. I mean, I mean, and look, you've been very effective, not only in your own case, but helping a few other people um, go into court and uh, when they've gotten these tickets and help them make their case that the state issuing tickets on territory is, uh, it, it's, it's not legal. And, and if, if we do it, it makes, if we don't do that, it makes it okay. Well, and, and, and look, unfortunately, We've never seen a judge willing to um, admit that they didn't have jurisdiction. They, yep. but when you ask them to assert and prove you have jurisdiction, mm -hmm. they don't. They can't do that either. So, what the last few times I remember the judge literally saying, "In the interest of justice, yep. we're dismissing this case." Yep. Well, I don't know how you how else to interpret that, except to say that that judge knew that it would be unjust to assert that jurisdiction in a place that is uh that is that uh, that they don't have it so i mean but you're right there are any but number of ways that, that's knowledge that that's understanding what your uh legal parameters are or yep. you know what your legal rights are I, 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 like you say you don't want to use rights well, and of course the, the the you know the risk always is you know well when you get these tickets they'll say if you meet with the DA and you plead out a parking ticket, you can get out of uh, you know out of the speeding ticket. But it, it just allows the, that system to continue. That's the same thing, you know. If you don't, if you don't fight it, I mean, but if you get still... it dismissed, that that's gone. You know, it, it's not. You're not ceding anything. You're, yep. you're, you know, you're, that's the same as paying a fine as if you paid a parking ticket. Well, and and look, and a lot of that system is geared towards 
getting a confession, getting a, a, a guilty plea of something. They don't even care. As long as they can, they can claim that they, their prosecution rate is, you know, is 95%. And it doesn't matter whether it's a ticket or whether it's, you know, in a, you know, in a criminal case or whatever else. And, you know, we are oftentimes beat down. Again, our lawyers are afraid to, you know, to really fight things on our behalf. So, you know, so we get told by our legal counsel, well, you, you know, you're probably better off pleading this out to this, even if you didn't commit the crime, you know, and, and this is where, this is where it's problematic. And no. so, no, but this is, this has been our experience. And, and, and that's why we have to be the force, you know, and, you know, when I, when I think about the role that lawyers and lobbyists and consultants have played in where native territories have gone. Um, and especially as it relates to things that are, that are, you know, big business like gaming, but it, I mean, the same could even be, be said of, you know, some of the tobacco and that kind of stuff. We've had lawyers that have advised us to do terrible things. I mean, I, you know, I, I stood up against the, the floor tax when they were trying to sending bills to everybody here on territory for, taxing them for product that was already sitting in their biz, in their buildings. Mm -hmm. And, you know, because of my pushback, the, the letters stopped coming. And, but, and I didn't even have a, a dog in that fight. To me, it was just about understanding what the fight is and then taking it back to the both, you know, I had met with Higgins, you know, the Congressman Higgins office and, and uh, Senator Gillibrand's office. And, and frankly, <laughs> even without any help from the Seneca Nation, I managed with, with guys like Ross John and Dakota Snyder, we had a meeting with the senior policy advisor to the White House. And the issue went away. So look, we, we can all accomplish a great deal if we try. And the more of us that, that engage in some of these fights, the more effective we are as a group. And so that's why activism is so important. That's why education is so important. Look, and I'm not talking about education, you know, in, in your, your standard high school education. I mean, being educated about who you are, what makes you distinct. You know, again, the history, the history but, it's, but it's also when we get engaged in a business, like gaming, for instance, we, we just have to not let that narrative go out there that says we can do it because they let us. You know, and, and the general perception in Western New York is, you know, is that the, the Seneca Nation has to pay the state because the state gave them permission to do gaming. And that's simply not even true. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's not even true. It, it's not even really close to true. But this is the perception. And part of it is because we don't push back. And, and look, I know that there are some people living here on territory who believe that, yeah, we got to pay them something. Well, we got we to gotta give them something. No. And, and that's what they say, you know, so. Oh, yeah, we can give them I mean, uh, taking care of the community in our surrounding areas, if they're providing police and fire protection and stuff, yeah, that's one thing. Yeah. But to give them blindly money for something that doesn't exist, that, that's not right. I mean, that's what uh, this whole uh, disputed casino funds is supposed to be about. You know, I mean, we... I'd rather I, see them give uh, free buffet tickets to, to people who yeah, are under, undernourished. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Match play or something. Yeah, I mean, yeah, help, 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 some, help some people, but... Matt, I want to thank you. I mean, it's been it's been a long time since you've actually sat in with me, and it's it's been great. I mean, you and I have these conversations, but oftentimes 
whether it's you and I or with with guys like Dega or Francis or whatever, mm -hmm. we 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 <laughs> sometimes say, "Man, we're wasting all this great conversation. We well, should have recorded it." To me, this is uh, I, I've been kind of pushed out of the shadows here because of all that's been going on, and it, it's good to feel you know um, able to. Uh, to bring those thoughts on, get people understanding of what the situation is. I got to admit, I didn't know too much at first, but with the conversations that we've had, I was able to grasp those concepts. Now I can take that and go out into the community and help um, help show some uh, understanding. Of well, and, and none of us are born with with knowledge. That knowledge is attained, mm -hmm. and and you gain it from your interaction with people and the people you choose to to engage in some of this stuff. And and you've had some some great people around you over the years, you know, to to help explain concepts that maybe others haven't been prepared to to talk about. And mm -hmm. you know, and that's why we can have some of these meaningful conversations. And we can encourage others to have them. So again, I want to thank you for coming in. This is uh good to be been, here. It's been great to catch up with you and uh frankly I look forward to doing it again. But I want to remind people activism is is not a bad thing. It, it is something that we need it's to do. It's a necessity. It's, it's something we need to do. It's something that, um, that, you know, really holds our future, you know, at stake if we don't do it. So we, we, we need to step, we need to defend ourselves. And that defense isn't just, you know, physically defending us. It's, it's about, you know, understanding the concepts and being able to engage in a conversation. Anytime we hear somebody say something overtly racist, about our existence. We should be able to have an intelligent conversation. Understanding that sometimes those things that are said that are, are hurtful to us is really just a lack of their education as well. And so we have a, we have a responsibility. So again, I wanna thank, uh, I wanna, I thank you for coming in, Matt, and uh, we'll, we'll do this again real soon. Again, this is John Kane, and this is Let's Talk Native.